Greetings and salutations. You're listening to This Ends at Prom, a podcast where I, teen movie apologist BJ Colangelo, show my wife, Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy. Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood? Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses or your perspective? Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen? Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to This Ends at Prom. This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I. Cinema. <laughs> That's really the best way we could have opened this episode. It's the only way to open this episode. I just want to beam the image of that hamburger into people's brains. Here's the thing. I am more than likely going to get Dial B for Burger tattooed on my body because I love this movie so much. Hi, friends. Uh, we're talking with the Mitchells versus the Machines, my favorite movie of 2021. <laughs> Is it really your favorite favorite? It was my favorite favorite. I knew um, it was up there. I didn't know it was like number one. <laughs> yeah, it was number one at the end of 2021. I was asked to do a bunch of different critic contributor lists, and this was my number one across the board. Well, shit. Mm-hmm. Cool. I love this movie. Look at that. I'm learning things too. <laughs> <laughs> like you knew that I loved it, but I don't know if you knew that like I loved it. No, I mean, I knew it was in your top 10. I knew it was comfortably in the top five. I just didn't know it was number one, yep, but it was, it was fine because I bought you an art book mm-hmm. and the Blu-ray for your birthday. So yeah, you did. It was very sweet. I know, I know what's up. Yeah, you do know what's up. <laughs> So yes, The Mitchells versus the Machines is an absolutely wonderful movie, and we wanted to tackle it because it's just such a good feeling movie. We need a good feeling movie after some complicated series of movies. Yeah, for sure. And it's just a wonderful movie about family. It's also really queer, and you know what? It's it's pride. We're doing it. Yeah, that should it's it's. It's queer enough because mm-hmm. it's so sneaky about it, but not really, but it's really enough not. that people got mad, and we'll go into that later. Yeah, we absolutely will. I mean, like, if you know what you're looking for, you're like, this movie's gay as hell. If you don't know what you're looking for, then it's like, <gasps> Yeah, game recognizes game. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so, Harmony, what was your introduction to this movie? Was it me? Uh, I came home from work, probably, and you went, okay, so I watched this fucking movie, and you need to watch it with me. <laughs> That's probably how it went. Consider that, that your dramatic right. reenactment. That's That sounds about right. And that was a really good impression of me. Thank Thanks. you. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my introduction to it was our dear friend Lee Monson messaged me one day and went, hey, I just got a screener for this movie called The Mitchells versus the Machines. It is absolutely your shit. And I was like, all right, yeah. cool. It's, it's super your shit. Yeah. And then I watched it and I was like, yeah, you were right. This is a, a million percent my shit. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if we want to dive too much into this, but BJ, how much on a scale of one to 10 are you one Katie Mitchell? Oh, it's like embarrassing how much <laughs> Katie Mitchell just gets me. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I look forward to us diving into that more <laughs> because we haven't really talked 
in depth about this movie as a couple yet. We haven't. And like this movie has been mentioned on previous episodes due to its tangential relationship with a lot of things that pop up within teen movies. Mm -hmm. And we'll absolutely talk about it. I know we mentioned it briefly in Turning Red, but I'm very excited to dedicate the time to really honor this movie because that's what I want to do. This is a movie that deserves to be honored because it also kind of went underseen. It was dropped very unceremoniously on Netflix uh, during the pandemic, which we are still living in. And a lot of people still haven't seen it because something else we'll get into. Everybody assumes that animation, especially animation on Netflix, is for children, and that is not the case. But before we dive any deeper, it's time for everyone's favorite part of the podcast. Welcome to the morning announcements. As a reminder, you can support the show on Patreon, patreon.com backslash this ends at prom. Over at our Patreon, we offer things like our schedule ahead of time, wonderful playlists curated by Harmony, our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. This announcement is for our listeners back home in Cleveland, Ohio. Mix Juneteenth, a Black and Queer Liberation Celebration, is back. Taking place on Saturday, June 18th from noon to 6 p.m. at Black Punks Press, 4701 Perkins Avenue, Cleveland, Ohio. Mix Juneteenth will feature live music, drag performances from local talent, art, free community, and harm reduction resources, local vendors, food, and educational workshops. For those that don't know, Juneteenth is a holiday for reverence, remembrance, and celebration. Through intentional planning and organizing, Mix Juneteenth will capture the spirit of Juneteenth holiday by providing a liberatory space that adheres to a black, queer, feminist praxis that centers abolition, community, solidarity with all oppressed communities, and anti-bigotry. Mix Juneteenth is a space that explicitly promotes an environment of respect, civility, and liberation that is free of harassment and police presence. Mixed Juneteenth is a free event with a suggested donation of $7 and $10 for non-black individuals. Pay up. No one will be turned away for inability to pay, though. Proceeds will be used to compensate performers and offset the cost of the event. Tickets can be reserved at https colon backslash backslash linktree slash Juneteenth. And remember, linktree is L-I-N-K-T-R period E-E backslash mix Juneteenth. Alrighty, so our friends at Fandango have a great synopsis for this movie. A quirky, dysfunctional family's road trip is upended when they find themselves in the middle of the robot apocalypse and suddenly become humanity's unlikeliest last hope. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's it. 
that feels like the blurb that you would read as you hover over it on Netflix of what the movie is. And also then it'll start to loudly play because their site's stupid and does that. Hey, you know what? I turned off those settings for us on Netflix. It only does that on some of the other apps that don't have that ability yet. Oh, well, that's lovely. (laughs) I don't use Netflix enough to know you turned it off. (laughs) Yeah, so that's what we're dealing with. We have a family on a road trip and then the world ends because of robot overlords and they manage to be the only ones to escape their grasps. Fucking tech companies, man. Fucking tech companies. Fucking Silicon Valley, man. <laughs> Fucking Eric Andre. Fucking uh, a, a man named Mark. A man named Mark who is not Mark Zuckerberg. He's um, not a ghoulishly pale Martian of a man. <laughs> who shows up to admit that he's corrupting the world in Congress. Yeah, no. Instead, it's just like kind of a cool tech guy that didn't fully think things through. No. I mean, that's isn't that the how Silicon Valley works, though? Isn't it move fast and break things? They moved fast and broke a lot of things in this movie. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? Um, so let, let's dive into it and let's start with our protagonist. Harmony, what do you feel about Katie Mitchell? See, here's the fun thing about Katie is that after rewatching it last night, which BJ, how many times have you seen this movie in the last like six, eight months? Oh, like seven times, probably. Okay, this was my second viewing. (laughs) Um, I also, I don't know if you knew this, I dozed off a little bit in the first one because we watched it like after I got home from work. Yes, I do remember that because when you fall asleep on the couch, I have a tendency to like rub your leg or like kind of push on your leg a little bit because then you will start impulsively like moving your leg around back to be like, I wasn't asleep. So I do that. I dozed off in the climax of this movie for like 10 minutes and so this was a little bit of a new viewing experience because I, <laughs> there, so there was some action I missed. Um, but after we finished watching it, you showed me some concept art for uh, Katie's character design that never quite mm-hmm. that, that they didn't that they didn't go with. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's really obvious how much a, a character like Katie Mitchell is very specific mm-hmm. because every version that I saw of these like unused character designs, I could look at that and go, okay, I know that girl, Mm -hmm. but that's not Katie. Yeah. That girl, like that design's fine, but that's not Katie. Uh Uh-huh. And I think that's the way you can describe this character, which is that you know who she is, but there's really no one like her. She's really eccentric and quirky and loves media, particularly like making mixed media films that she puts online for just the funs of it. Uh, she she likes to create and is kind of out there in a really playful and fun way. Mm-hmm. I think she's very positive, but only when she's sort of getting her way. Otherwise, she's wildly pessimistic because she's like 18 and that's normal. Absolutely. So my feelings about Katie... I'm going to self-plagiarize and cite my own article that I wrote about this movie because I love it so much. Um, But I wrote it for What to Watch, and it's called Why the Mitchells Versus the Machines is Groundbreaking Queer Representation for Animated Films. And here is how I first talk about Katie. Following the cold open, we're introduced to Katie jamming out in her cluttercore bedroom adorned with mock B-movie posters and a rainbow comforter while I Want More by the riot girl band Bangs plays. I'd be lying if I said it didn't look awfully familiar to this queer cinephile's teenage bedroom and soundtrack. 
When Katie finally speaks to us, a candy-coated rainbow outlines her frozen image, highlighting her pen-drawn faux tattoos, permanent marker-applied black nail polish, and a voiceover stating, I've always felt a little different than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And that is exactly who Katie Mitchell is. She's a little bit messy. She's very creative. She's very sure of who she is, even if the rest of the world doesn't understand her. And she's fully aware that the rest of the world doesn't understand her. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why she resonated so much with me, because aesthetically, Katie and I are very different. I'm (laughs) I'm gothy and and, and polished and glam. Like, Katie looks a little bit more like a, a Juno type. Yes. Not not a high femme goth girlfriend type. <laughs> right. Who, who's now turned into, like, full-blown, like, goth mommy wife. Thank you. It just happens with age. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I, I didn't look like that. But there are aspects of it that I did look like. When I was 15, 16 years old, I absolutely drew little doodles and sayings on the sides of my Converse and my Vans. Same. I drew on my jeans that were ripped. I put like little Same. faces around the knees, which is, you know, stuff Katie did. Absolutely did Sharpie nail polish because it was easier than touching it up all the time. Same. Right. So like, well, it's you less, get it. <laughs> it's less gay if you go ahead and use a Sharpie. <laughs> so that's why I used a Sharpie. And then your cuticles <laughs> will never recover. No. Oh my gosh, no. It just eats away at your cuticles forever. Um, so yeah, I love Katie and I love that she is a, a queer character that you know she's queer. They don't make a big deal out of it. She just exists in that way. And she's voiced by Abby Jacobson, who is somebody that is queer. Mm-hmm. Always a big fan of that. And Abby Jacobson's voice fits so well for Katie. Like, I love her on Broad City. I love her comedy. But she just really brings Katie to life. She's so relatable. I think so, too, especially because I guess in terms of Broad City, she's more of like the straight man to Alana Glazer on that show. Right. Um, However, there's this like very definite usefulness to Abby Jacobson's voice that works well for a teen character. But it is really cool to see both her and Danny McBride, both like bombastic, funny people, Danny McBride more so, obviously, Mm -hmm. get to do these very grounded human characters that they don't normally do like how how are they more cartoons and other things they do than the literal cartoon right (laughs) no that's a really really good point because the rest of the mitchell family are all just absolute stars first off um so like you said dad is played by danny mcbride who most people know for from things like the Righteous Gemstones or Pineapple Express or... You got killed by a Daewoo Lano, motherfucker. <laughs> My personal favorite is in Tropic Thunder when you get to do big-ass titties, <laughs> which is... <laughs> I don't know why. It makes me laugh every single time. I don't know. Daniel McBride's just a funny guy. He's a funny guy. He's yeah. a really funny guy. And yeah. he plays, you know, my my favorite movie dad because I love Rick Mitchell so very much. Um, I just, I think that he's great. And the rest of the cast is equally as wonderful. Uh, Linda is voiced by Maya Rudolph. So mom is Maya Rudolph doing a fantastic job. Mm-hmm. And then Aaron, the unsung hero of the Mitchells family, uh, which is Katie's little brother, is voiced by the director, Mike Rianda. And I love Aaron because he's such a particular type of little weirdo. He really, really loves dinosaurs. There have been some people who have given him a read that he might be on the autism spectrum because he's so dedicated to his dinosaur special interests. But I also don't want to 
assign uh, a condition to an animated character, um, let alone one that is just like a singular stereotype that exists for people who yeah. have autism. It's just like you have one, possibly two symptoms, that means. Right, yeah. We're not going to do that here on this show. But if you are somebody who is on the autism spectrum and you find Aaron to be like a very affirming character, then like that's great and kudos for you. But, you know, we're not psychologists. We're not here to, to diagnose an animated character. Well, there's a difference between like canon and a read on a character absolutely and that's very very important yeah but the thing with aaron is he feels so much like i don't know the human embodiment of like pop rocks that's a really great way to describe him he's, he's just <laughs> popping off and he's kind of like a little weird where it's like why would you want to eat candy that doesn't taste particularly good and explodes in your mouth i don't know that's fun <laughs> Yeah, I love Aaron because he has such, like, great little brother anxiety energy where he doesn't know how to express what he's feeling yet. So He's they, not good at flirting. No, so they come out in either the very typical, like, little kid way of, I'm afraid to be vulnerable, so actually, no, I hate this, goodbye, and you mm-hmm. get that, which my students used to do all the time. Yeah, so. little, little boys can't show vulnerability. Right. <laughs> I mean, you should. Absolutely, you should. But a lot of them are socially conditioned to believe that they can't. Well, especially with Rick Mitchell. Mm-hmm. He's, he's not a bad dad. He's just not maybe the, the most emotionally inclined dad. Correct. Absolutely. But here's the thing with Aaron that I relate to a lot, which is that we're watching this movie, and there's numerous points where they roll up at the dinosaur it's like roadside attraction. And he's mm-hmm. like, these dinosaurs are wrong. And he's flipping out. He's like, I need to speak to the manager. Mm-hmm. And other points where he's like, oh, well, um, I think these dinosaurs should have feathers. So they're more like historically accurate. Uh-huh. That's me with the erroneous possum slander in this movie. <laughs> where I go, um, actually, possums can't carry rabies. Their body temperature isn't the right one to carry the virus. Thank you very much. Also, they're not aggressive and are going to just casually attack dad more than <laughs> once. So anyway, I relate to Aaron in that regard. Or it's that time we saw the Meg and you and I were the only ones at like a 3 p.m. viewing of it in a theater that sat like 300 people. Uh-huh. And I'm just sitting there going, that's actually not the hunting patterns of the great white shark. That's entirely fabricated. Yeah, you started doing that. And I looked over at you and I'm like, this is the thing I'm going to Neil deGrasse get? Tyson up in that fucking dumb shark movie. <laughs> big dumb shark movie that deserves big smart facts. <laughs> so anyway, I relate to Aaron. <laughs> I love that. And like, and Aaron and Katie are best buds. And that makes a lot of sense for you and I. Yeah, that's true. Except, you know, we're not siblings because that would be (laughs) really fucking weird. Yeah, no, now you made it weird. Why'd you make it weird? (laughs) So, yeah, we've got we've got our family and they are all they're very unique kind of characters and watching them interact right off the bat. You know that there is some fundamental generational misunderstandings between them. Most prominently. Rick is very much like an outdoorsy kind of guy. Mm-hmm. He loves the wilderness. He he loves survivalism in in like a very traditional sense. And Katie's a tech kid. Mm-hmm. Katie is true to form, artsy fartsy, internet child. Like that is who she is, and that is a world that Rick cannot wrap his head around for a multitude of reasons. Mm-hmm. The technological divide between generations is like very very real. And it doesn't get talked about enough. And I don't know why it doesn't get talked about outside of, like, occasional throwaway line of, like, dad or mom not knowing how to open a PDF. That happens a lot. I mean, I had to teach my mother, who'd been using a computer for, like, seven or eight years at that point, how to copy and paste. 
Um, so sometimes shit just happens or I, I guess doesn't happen. I guess the thing that I think is really fascinating is about these two is that they both like to create. They're both mm-hmm. creative. Incredibly it, creative. Rick would just like to spend his creativity like building a house and woodworking. in the woods <laughs> and doing like making mooses. Just, I think it's just moose. I know, but I'm going to say mooses. You're not going to say mises? No. <laughs> <laughs> so, but Katie likes to create her art for like entertainment. And that really speaks about like the differences between who they are, which is she is, she wants to create things for fun. He wants to create things for practicality to like provide a home for his family. That's why he gives them screwdrivers as presents. Mm-hmm. This is our last night together before Katie leaves. So let's savor this. How about we put our phones down and we can make 10 seconds of unobstructed family eye contact. Starting right. This seems. Put your phone down. Now. See, this is good right here. This is natural. Now, you're allowed to blink. It's just eye contact. Look at Monch right there. That's the spirit right there, huh? Katie. It seems like you're not taking this seriously. What makes you say that? So I think that they're extremely similar to each other and also equally as bad about kind of communicating with each other. Mm-hmm. But their their love languages are different. They express it a little bit differently, but mm-hmm. they're like really close. Mm-hmm. A big reason why this movie resonates with me so deeply is because I see a lot of my own relationship with my dad as I do with Rick and Katie. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot on the show about my parents being awesome, because they are. They are the bomb.com. Love Ron and Kelly. They're the, I love them so much. And my dad and I are similar to a fault, if that makes any sense. But we are also incredibly different in the way that we go about presenting our similarities. So, like, we argue the same, we talk the same, we look the same. But something that goes on between Rick and Katie is that Rick doesn't fully understand the the use of what Katie does because it's not something that he's familiar with and he is concerned about things that are new. Mm-hmm. And that I mean, is for all intents and purposes, she's making like puppet shows and putting it on the internet. Yeah. And he's just like, why is this what you choose to do with your time? Why are you doing right. sock puppets? Yeah, she's doing sock puppets and, you know, cardboard cars and obviously like the fifth beetle of this family is Mochi, who's voiced by Doug the Pug, actual celebrity dog. Um, He also stars as Dog Cop, even though Katie is the voice of Dog Cop. And Abby Abby Jacobson is credited as Katie Mitchell slash Dog Cop, which rules. Yeah. Um, But... Their their big major conflict is that Katie has made this movie to say goodbye to the family before she goes to college, and her dad doesn't even give it a chance um, because he doesn't understand it. Mm-hmm. And like this is her her way of saying goodbye. This is her way of showing appreciation, and he just doesn't understand it. And so his reaction to it comes off like very very negative and unsupportive when that's not his intent. Well, yeah, he's also telling them to, like, put your phones down, and mm-hmm. that's how Katie communicates with people, is through mm-hmm. technology, through the art she creates on her laptop, through, like, the friends that she wants to meet in college. Mm-hmm. You know, that that that's that's her window to the world. That's her window to, like, with which her innermost self and all of her creative expression leaves through. Mm-hmm. 
Absolutely. But dad just doesn't take a vested interest in understanding her art because he, it's not practical. Right. Well, He's being a big old dad about it. Well, not only is it, you know, in his mind impractical, but there is a fundamental disconnect that a lot of people from older generations that did not grow up with phones have between the generations that did grow up with phones. Mm -hmm. And I would see this all the time as a teacher where like the older teachers would be like, no, I will confiscate their phone all week. And I'm like, you can't do that. Like it has become an extension of so many of these kids and it's a sa- like it's kind of a safety net if I'm going to be honest. And I, I don't mean that in like the Linus from the peanut safety blanket sort of way, but like it is a sense of comfort because for a lot of kids, it is one of the only aspects of their life that they have control over. And that is something that a lot of parents and people from like an older generation just don't understand because mm-hmm. to them, they're like, well, a phone is a tool. This is a tool because it's always been used as a tool mm-hmm. or it is a luxury item. It's not anymore. Phones have not been a luxury item for about 15 years now. They are essential items now. You kind of can't exist in the world without one. And when you don't have one, it's like shocking and it, it makes things very difficult. Everything from like applying to jobs or, you know, going to school, like y- you have to have a phone number. Mm-hmm. Um, so it makes it really, really difficult. And there's that that disconnect and i just kept thinking while rick is having this conversation with katie where it's like you know i just wish that you had a backup plan or i wish that you know you you were pursuing something else because like failure sucks and failure hurts and these are like verbatim conversations that i've had with my dad Mm -hmm. where my parents are wonderful and loving and supportive and they always have been that is the one area where i wish they were a little bit better well, they don't want you to fail. Because they don't want me to fail. They've got their own trauma to unpack of like living, you know, poor for a while. Um, and, you know, that kind of gets projected onto me of like they never want me to go through that. I understand where it all comes from because I have done a lot of therapy. They have not. But when I first started writing when I was in college, they they could see that this was what I was really into was, you know, writing screenplays and writing about film and uh, analyzing film and I think it scared the shit out of them because when you don't know anyone else in your life that has done this as a job and is successful it feels like an impossibility and thinking about that as your child's future is terrifying for parents and of course rather than unpack their own fears they project it onto their kids uh yeah I you have to also keep in mind I guess that parents of a certain like basically our parents uh, still have it ingrained that like, oh, you want to get a good job? You go to college. It, it's like the dad and accepted where it's mm-hmm. like your ass goes to college. And right. You get a good go to college, you get a good job and you get a good life. and You're not a fucking loser. Yeah. So like that's the mentality of a lot of like our parents and mm-hmm. people yeah, probably like give or take a little bit you know, from there. Um, but I guess the difficult thing with that is that sometimes you do go to college, but you don't apply that. Sometimes mm-hmm. the job market's just not there. Sometimes it's not even a factor of college like the things you went to school for you don't really use for your current job and also your parents don't really have any sort of tangible understanding of like oh what can you do with film what can you do with media Mm -hmm. in general like i don't know like someone made the godfather Mm -hmm. and ron colangelo loves that 
He, kn- he knows who Pacino is. Mm-hmm. You're not Pacino. You're never going to be Pacino. Mm-mm. So who are you? You're nobody. Mm-hmm. And that means you're going to fail because mm-hmm. you can't. Who? How could we have another Pacino? <laughs> like that. That's basically, I think, like the simplest way to draw that to, to, to draw that map. Absolutely. I mean, we talked about it a little bit on our camp episode with how when you are a creative child, a lot of parents don't understand how you can be successful in that field because their brain is wired to think of success in the arts equals Oscar winning, Mm -hmm. equals live on stage on Broadway, equals directing feature film for Netflix. Oh, people have like weird metrics of a lot of success. Absolutely. I I got into an argument with a coworker I used to have um, who insisted that Taylor Swift must be a genius because she's a billionaire. And I'm like, well, that doesn't mean you're a genius. It means you're a billionaire. Right. And people have weird measurements for what success is. And sometimes parents just don't understand how you can make a living. Like, mm-hmm. I've never had anybody in my family have a remote idea of how I make money. <laughs> I, I think that they're paranoid that I do some sort of, like, back alley dealings. Because, like, well, how, what do you mean you only bartend, like, three nights a week? I only need to bartend three nights a week. It's like, well, how do you make enough money? I'm like, I'm good at my job. I make enough tips. It's like, I, d- I just don't see how. I'm like. I literally told you. <laughs> right. <laughs> so you just think either I'm living in absolute squalor or apparently I'm making some money in like a shady back way. Yeah. I mean, my parents, I think when they realized I was making a living doing this, they have backed down. But I know that there are certain things that I do that they find infinitely more impressive than anything else. Like I have been published in some really incredible places and that doesn't mean shit all to them because they've never heard of them. Mm-hmm. They don't know what that means. They don't know what Vulture is. What's they don't Fangoria? Care. Like, my mom and dad know what Fangoria is now. But at the time, they were just like, oh, that that's that horror magazine, right? And, like, that's just what it was. Mm-hmm. But, like, the things that made them go, oh, shit, our kid, we get it, was when I wrote for Remind Magazine for Halloween and they could buy it off of the newsstands at a Walgreens. Like, that was a huge fucking deal. And my then, kids in Walgreens. Right. And then when my feature film was available to rent on Comcast On Demand, like Xfinity On Demand, that's when they were like, oh, wait, this movie you made, like people actually can see this. And I'm like, yeah, it got distributed. And like, oh, we don't know what that means because they just they don't know. And Mm -hmm. that's just it's a different world. And that's what we're dealing with with Katie. And because she's a teenager and because this has been her life forever. It comes so naturally to her. Mm-hmm. It's really frustrating that her dad isn't there with her. And why I find this movie so just utterly brilliant is that it is one of the few movies where you're dealing with a family and you're dealing with the dynamics of parents and teenagers that addresses the fact that parents are also people. They have Mm -hmm. their own backstories. They have their own lived experiences. They have their own pathways. Because I really genuinely think that as teenagers, because we have it in our minds like, well, you're supposed to be our provider. You're supposed to be the person that takes care of me. You're supposed to be the person that loves me unconditionally and supports me unconditionally. That we forget that parents have their own shit that they've had to get through to be a good parent for you. They likely gave up some shit to raise you. And like, yes, that is their choice. And that is what they are supposed to do. Absolutely, they are. But that doesn't change the fact that there was an entire life of theirs that existed before you got here. And there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. I, I, it also doesn't help that like teenagers are self-centered by the end of high school where they're like, well, I know what I'm doing with my mm-hmm. life. Or maybe they don't know what they're doing with their life. But I, in any, either case, they don't really think about their parents in that regard. 
like that's not something they even consider much less fixate on and i think you kind of had to put it in terms where katie understood it where mm-hmm. she had a conversation with her mom while everyone else in the car was asleep and it's going over well but like she physically needed to see her dad on a camcorder and the house he built and the house he gave up in like 2003 to go raise his child Mm-hmm. And that it was an easy decision for him because he's really excited to be a dad. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, th- th- this is tangible to me now. It's, mm-hmm. it's You're speaking my language. And then you have that in the opposite direction where Mark, not Zuckerberg, <laughs> played by Eric Andre, is watching Dog Cop after everyone is captured. And dad's like, oh, wait, people watch these videos my kid makes? Mm-hmm. Now it's speaking his language because it's left the internet mm-hmm. and he's just encountered it in the wild. Yes. I mean, figuratively speaking, they're, right. they're, they're very much not in the wild in that scene. <laughs> yeah, no, you're absolutely right. It is a matter of, like you said earlier, speaking that different love language and putting it in terms that they can understand. And I think that that is really, really beautiful because our main conflict begins when Katie is very excited. She's about to go to like the California film school. It feels to me like a stand-in for either like UCLA's film program or like CalArts. Like it feels like that's where she's going, that type of school. And she's very, very excited about it, but they have a big fight on the, the final day. Her laptop gets broken and Rick Mitchell and in his infinite wisdom is like, I'm going to fix it by canceling her plane tickets calling the school and having her miss orientation week because we're going to do a family road trip to California so that we can fix this. Hope y'all like a goofy movie. (laughs) Right. It really is, though. And, like, if you uh, are not subscribed to our Patreon, we did do a goofy movie for the Sadie Hawkins dance. And And we both got really emotional. We got really emotional (laughs) about a goofy movie because if you haven't revisited it as an adult, it hits way different as an adult than when you're a kid. Oh yeah, a goofy movie is not for kids. It no. It, it's from the parents' perspective. You are you are goofy as the viewer and if you're not goofy this movie doesn't land. This is a goofy movie but in the opposite mm-hmm. where it's mostly told through Katie's perspective. Mm-hmm. This is the teen's perspective on the forced family road trip that involves possums and occasionally learning how to do fishing casts and also uh taking donkey rides through uh the canyons. Because R.I.P. Prancer belongs to the canyon now. <laughs> <laughs> no animals were harmed in the making of this movie. Lynn, don't worry about them. Look at them. They're jealous of us. Right, Katie? <laughs> I see you moping back there. But what at your college could possibly be better than this? We set up a slip and slide in the dorms. It's amazing. This is the best day of my life. I'm making lifelong bonds. I'm missing everything. Come on, hon. Your father is trying. Let's meet him halfway here, huh? What do you say? That's the law. Mom law. Because I'm the sheriff. (laughs) But that's not to take anything away from, like, the Mitchells versus the Machines and say, like, oh, it's just a goofy movie, because it's not. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it just handles very similar themes. And maybe there may be, like, an homage or just, like, a certain level of, like, love shown for a goofy movie, because it's maybe the best animated movie Disney's ever made. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that if you're going to compare it to any other sort of animated film out there, I don't think it's a goofy movie, and I don't think it's necessarily better or worse. I think it's equal to that. I do think it's a better version of, like, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs. Okay, I could see that. And what's funny about that, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs is directed by Phil Lord and Chris Miller. 
Um, we've covered them on 21 Jump Street on the Sadie Hawkins dance. Um, but Lord and Miller, um, they directed Cloudy the Chance of Meatballs and they produced this movie. <laughs> See, there you go. I, I think it's just like, hey, I love the idea of a dad who's really out of touch technologically and has a bulky bod and he's just trying to bond with his kid. Mm-hmm. Like, that's that's what these two are doing. And with no disrespect for Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, I actually love both those movies. Mm-hmm. The second one has the most top-tier pun game in any ever committed to film. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. This one, it's so much more of a central conflict mm-hmm. because this is, you know, it's an adventure movie. It's a road trip movie. It's a family film. But the main thing about it is repairing the rift between a father and daughter that didn't used to be there. Mm-hmm. And the issue that you have is that Rick is really trying to kind of kind of milk nostalgia. Mm-hmm. He's trying to go back to tried and true methods of like, let's sing the Rihanna song that samples Numa Numa. Like, you loved doing that when you were three, which mm-hmm. my mom loved doing that, where I'm like 17, 18 years old and Barbie Girl comes on and she's like, oh, we used to love this song. We used to clean the house and sing it. I'm like, mom, don't embarrass me. Mm-hmm. I'm 18. I don't like Barbie Girl. <laughs> anyway, I like Toy Box way better. <laughs> but, God, I love Toy Box. They're so good. Oh my God, they're they're so much fun. But like, that's the kind of experience where Dad and her have not been super close for a while. So mm-hmm. he's thinking back on the times when they were close, when he was the greatest thing in the world and her favorite person, mm-hmm. and he wa- he wants that, but. They've just grown apart because she's developed into someone that's not really recognizable to him. And not necessarily in a bad way, just just how people grow. Absolutely. I mean, something that you pointed out is that when we see these little clips of the, the home movies and you get the dates on them, for all intents and purposes, Katie Mitchell has never existed in a world where YouTube was not a thing. Yeah, which like, is fucking wild to think about, that there are kids who don't remember pre-YouTube. Right. Like... Like, you don't know shit about E-Bomb's world. <laughs> what do you know about Ask Jeeves? <laughs> Let's just reference dated things for the rest of the episode. And that's very much an example of this continued generational divide. And what I also like is that we see kind of the fallout of that and how it affects the rest of the family. Mm-hmm. Because obviously Aaron has not yet become disillusioned with his parents because he's so little. Mm-hmm. But like mom sees it for what it is and is trying her hardest to fix it. Oh, but she's she, the glue that's keeping the family together. Oh God, yeah. Linda Linda Mitchell holds everything together. But she also knows that this is something that she can't fix. Mm-hmm. That it has to be the two of them that that mend this broken bond Mm -hmm. and watching them try their hardest to like help in whatever way they can by either being like hey here's a sign read this statement because you're being harsh right now like they're trying they're really trying linda straight up puts aaron up to talking to katie it's like did mom put you up to this no Like, she's really trying and nothing but love for moms who are really trying to keep their falling apart family together. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I love that that's part of it. I love that everybody in the family is sort of an active participant in trying to make it. And there are moments where you can see Katie and Rick trying to understand each other. Mm -hmm. Because obviously he is super annoyed by the fact that she does everything through a phone. Because again, he doesn't understand it. He does not understand that... This is a style of communication. He well, doesn't understand that. I think he just doesn't understand the capabilities of a phone. I think I think that's also like, true. What are you doing? Uh, using the buttons to play Funky Town? 
maybe playing <laughs> Snake. I think that's about the extent of what he knows cell phones do. Mm-hmm. He doesn't realize like, hey, guess what? This is the Library of Alexandria. Right. It has literally everything we've ever created on it. <laughs> right. No, you're absolutely right. And he, you know, eventually kind of gives in because he understands these kids are going to record me getting licked by the dog this whole trip. I'm just going to let it happen. I'm going to stop fighting it. Mm-hmm. Like, that is his way of trying. And then similarly with Katie, you know, she's got the coupon to learn how to drive stick. And she's like, maybe I can cash in this coupon. Like, this is her olive branch. And, you know, it really makes Rick really, really happy. Mm-hmm. And you see that. Like, there are these little tiny ways that they're trying. But, of course... Um, that can't be the only conflict because then that's just a family drama and who the fuck wants to watch that? Uh, robots have to take over the world. Um, and now we have this like side plot that's also the main plot where essentially uh, Siri, but it's Pal, voiced by Olivia Coleman, which is just bananas to me that they got Olivia Coleman to voice this, this app, basically. Um, but this helper app on your phone has been deemed obsolete and is going to be replaced by uh, handy robots that are basically like robot maids uh, that are intelligent. And uh, because Pal is really upset about being declared obsolete, and because I think as she says, you programmed my replacement on my own face, Mm -hmm. which is hilarious to me. um, She's like, yeah, no, we don't need humans anymore. um, So I'm going to reprogram all of these robots, and they're going to take over the world, and humans can get fucked. And that's exactly what happens. Yeah. And then we get our iRobot apocalypse mixed with maximum overdrive. Uh, Yep. And it's pretty great. Love it. It's pretty, pretty great. <laughs> I mean, when the robot stuff happened, I was like, all right, cool. I'm on board with this. This is great. And then at one point, the Mitchell family who manages to escape the robots because of just pure magical happenstance. They, they, they try. They put in enough effort to get them far enough, and then they get lucky. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, but they do seek refuge in a mall in the hopes that, you know, oh, we have this, like, kill switch that we've discovered. We can shut it all down, but we need to get to a computer. We need to get to Wi-Fi. We need to get there. They go to the mall, and then suddenly the, the objects start doing things. Mm-hmm. All of the electronics are doing things. And I remember taking a quick breath and going, are they going to – are they – they're not going to maximum overdrive this. Like, oh. they, they can't. It's a kid's movie. They can't do that. Legitimately have the soda machines and everything. And the soda machines go off. And I was like, oh, hell yeah, it's maximum overdrive. We got Roombas going down escalators. Not very well. We have sassy toasters. We got sassy toasters. And then the, 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 the creme de la creme, the Furbies. The giant Furby. Oh, my God. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. Because when you have, like an army of little Furbies laughing, and you're like, that's haunting. Um, And I had a Furby, and yeah, they're scary. But then you get the giant Furby that someone made as like a display, and it's just a giant kaiju. Uh, Incredible. Absolutely remarkable. Greatest American kaijus. Uh, Grape Ape, King Kong, Bone Crusher, Giant Furby. (laughs) In that order. (laughs) What about Stay Puft Marshmallow Man? He's American-made. Fifth. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... We've got that going on. We get introduced to Eric and Deborahbot 5000, which are two robots that got hurt during the initial battle, and now they're a little bit defective, mm-hmm. so they go along with the family. They're basically reverted to their original programming. Pretty much. Um, but then they occasionally have the the instincts to be evil, which is great, usually from Eric, where he'll like do a projection where he'll be like, and then there's no escape, which is very, very fun. Um, and that's pretty much, uh, our, our, our central 
our central conflict. They they've got to save the world from uh from the robots, and they've got to work together to do it. Mm-hmm. And they get into wacky hijinks along the way because again, they are not a very perfect family. They're all kind of messy. They're all kind of weird, and it just it just works so well. Yeah, I. I'll say that, like, the one thing I don't love, and it makes sense for it, is that there is the, like, third act, like, liar reveal trope that exists at the most inopportune time as, you know, to build a drama. Which yeah. it makes sense because Pal is try- knows that they're camouflaged as robots somewhere and is trying to flush them out. And she's playing lowball. So, like, I get why that goes on. And it doesn't super bother me, but I'm like, ah, oh, it's, the- it's the one thing I would change. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, then you have Dad and Katie who are both devastated because she just hurt her dad's feelings by saying, like, yeah, I lie to Dad's face all the time, and I just tell him what he wants to hear, so he leaves me alone, and then I can't wait to never see you all again. Like, really harsh stuff as they've bonded and they've grown together, and that's not true anymore. Mm -hmm. And their whole plan that was working falls apart. Yeah, it very much is the, she's all that, what do you mean I'm a bet? And it's like, y'all could have avoided all of this had you communicated, like, I don't know, 15 minutes ago. (laughs) Well, well, how would dad ever know? Right. I mean, y'all... Katie didn't know she was being recorded. Which, I mean, is the most 18-year-old thing in a world that's grown up with nothing but the internet. Y'all forget, we're all being surveilled at every given moment. Teens never think they're going to get caught. And yet... Yes, they always get caught. I get that. Get caught. I'm just saying that, like, oh, the arrogance of youth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're right. Um, yeah, because that is a that is a really interesting moment that happens where before they're about to go on their master plan, Katie does give a very like sweet monologue to Dad about like I need you and I'm not too old for you and blah blah blah, and then confesses to her little brother like yeah, I'm just saying that to make him happy, and I'm glad that. The movie also acknowledges that, that that's a thing that happens. Oh, yeah, it's totally a thing. Like, you lie to your parents all the time. Yeah. And that's like the general you, not like pointing at me. Not you specifically and being like, <laughs> yes, I will expose you now in front of everyone. <laughs> no, it's like, it's, it's a general thing that happens. And it's one of those things that people don't like to address. And it it's goes... It's easier to tell them what they want to hear. Yeah. And for Katie, who doesn't feel very affirmed by her dad and just wants to get this over with so that she can start her future. I understand why this is the the tactic that she's choosing. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to give your dad the benefit of the doubt, even if all he wants to do is talk about pine cones and screwdrivers. Because even if he doesn't always get it right, he's always trying harder than you ever knew. My whole family tried to come together and it worked. It actually worked. Families can be hard, but they're so worth fighting for. It might be one of the only things that are. Huh? Ugh. Nodded off for a bit there. Sorry, that was so boring! So another aspect of the Mitchells versus the Machines that I really, really love is that the animation style is so interesting to look at mm-hmm. because it's an animated movie, but it's also a mixed media movie. 
There are moments where there is puppetry incorporated with animated characters. Um, there's animation within the animation, like filters get used, like similar to, you know, like Snapchat cat faces. Um, there's so much visual stimuli going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and even in moments that aren't intentionally trying to draw attention to it, like anytime there is somebody that does the Rick Mitchell special, which is basically him doing some really wild driving. Um, it drive will, on the median. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> It'll cut to a screen that has like a lot of stuff going on in the background and, you know, wild guitar music. Like it's clearly like this is a title card for this. Yeah. But there's animation added into it without that uh like when they're planning things katie at one point says like you know do you feel this you feel this energy and she moves her fingers and like little stars and things come off of her fingers and it's just to emphasize like what's going on Mm -hmm. and that is scattered throughout the entire movie and it just makes it so much more fun and i don't know whimsical is not the right word but it it just gives you that sense of joy like every moment in this movie feels joyous even when it's intense it's playful playful is absolutely a better word than whimsy thank you for suggesting it you're welcome but here's the thing like this all of the effects and like the title cards and random like instagram filters and doodles and all these things that pop up on the screen throughout the whole movie really drives home the fact that this movie is told from katie's perspective yes and that's why it's not a goofy movie, even though I saw a lot of people be like, oh, it's not as good as a goofy movie. It's like, that's because you're goofy now and you don't like that this movie is told from Max's perspective, old man. <laughs> so, like, that's not a fair comparison to make. But I just wanted to get that out in the open because some people were grumps and uh, fuck them because <laughs> they were unnecessarily harsh. But, like, the animation of this movie is so good. I'm, I'm assuming that it's done through, like, some complex form of cell shading, but... It all looks like paintings. Oh my gosh, Every yeah. Every single, like you could probably freeze any frame of this movie and it would look beautiful as a still. Mm-hmm. Like there's not a lot of like laziness and in between frames, like things snap and pull and go off model when they should. It's so energetic and exciting to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way that the backgrounds on the scenes are done, the way I was, I was, I spent the entire movie trying to figure out like, what does this remind me of? What is the way to describe this? This is like when you see the concept art for a Pixar movie when it's just drawn up and oil painted and all of that, but they just left it like that. They didn't turn it into a Pixar movie and they just animated it that way. That's what it looks like. And it's gorgeous. It's, it's one of my favorite art styles for any animated movie I've seen in a very long time. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And while we're talking about the animation, I want to sort of tackle the concept of animation. So The Mitchells versus The Machines was nominated for the Academy Awards for Best Animated Feature. It did not win. It lost to Encanto. I have no horse in that race, but I can tell you what. Uh, visually... I think that this is more of a triumph of animation, but that's just my opinion because I never saw Encanto. So here's the thing. I'm right there with you. And I have a lot of feelings about how the Academy Awards handles their best animated feature category, uh, so much so that I wrote about it because uh, I'm going to sample something from a piece I wrote called Someone Tell the Oscar Night Writers That Animation Is Not Just For Children. So for those that don't know... During the 94th Academy Awards, uh, there were more things that happened outside of the slap, for the love of Christ. Um, But 
three different stars of Disney live action movies presented the award, which I thought was very odd because it's sort of positioning like these are the real actors. These are the real Disney things we want to focus on. Yeah, which I just really, really didn't like. Um, One of the co-hosts was Amy Schumer. (laughs) And she kept making a joke about how she's not seen any movies this year other than Encanto 100 times because (laughs) I'm a mother of a toddler and that's all I watch now. Um, Fine, whatever. Um, And then they just talked about how animation is like they essentially implied that animation is a medium for children and there's nothing good for adults there but like thanks for keeping our kids busy it was just so inappropriate and phil lord tweeted that night you know super cool to position animation as something that kids watch and adults have to endure Mm -hmm. and i got really heated that night about this whole situation i remember which made me very 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 upset um and Here's what I wrote about it. While four of the five nominees, Encanto, Ryan the Last Dragon, Luca, and the Mitchells versus the Machines, could all be watched by and enjoyed by younger viewers, the Danish animated documentary Flea was most certainly better suited for adult audiences. But even before the nominees were announced, the emphasis the presenters made on the appeal animation has to young audiences made it seem like Flea was being counted out before they even had a chance. While all taste is subjective, I have no problem dying on the hill that The Mitchells vs. The Machines was this year's best animated film, but given how frequently Encanto was mentioned, including a last-minute edition performance of We Don't Talk About Bruno, the other nominees didn't have a fighting chance. Was Encanto truly the best animated film of the year, or just the most popular one? Note, I am not discounting the successes of Encanto, it's just part of a larger conversation. And what was doubly frustrating about all of that is that the animated short winner of the night was an adult short. Like, it was not for children. And Mm -hmm. the animators, even in their speech, was like, hey, it's a medium. It is not a genre. It is a medium. It is an art form. And there are so many interesting stories that can be told. Can we please stop relegating it to thinking that it's only for children? Mm -hmm. And this is not to discount animation that is for children. Some of the best animation out there and the best storytelling our properties for children, things like Gravity Falls and Craig of the Creek, like undeniably amazing animated series that are definitely geared towards younger audiences. Yeah. We'll do Wolf Walkers on the podcast at some point. Oh my God. We'll bring back crowd favorite Roxy. Yes. Cause it's her favorite movie. But then when it came to the Mitchells versus the machines, it's like, all right, look, let's look at like fundamental flea. I think is fantastic. It's, It's a wonderful, magnificent story. It is a like, just absolutely gut-wrenching documentary told through animation. That's very, very cool. Is it doing anything groundbreaking with its animation? No, not really. That's not a slight to it. That's just reality of the situation. Encanto, Luca, Raya the Last Dragon, they're all very, very cool. They're all very pretty, but they all kind of look like movies I've seen before. Yeah. I would give Raya and the Last Dragon a little bit more of a boost, as well as Encanto, specifically just for like hair texture technology that's improved. Like That's incredible. And obviously, Encanto is great music. But in terms of, like, actual animation, Mitchell's versus the Machines is so beyond better than everything else that came out this year because it incorporated so many different forms of animation and made it into one cohesive film. And the fact that that was not acknowledged is so infuriating to me. 
because it's one of those things where it's like, did you even watch all of these or did you just vote for Encanto because it made all that money and the the music was really popular? And like, don't get me wrong, I'm not here to like shit on Encanto. I really like Encanto a lot. But if we're looking at like which film fundamentally deserved that award, it's the Mitchells versus the Machines. And it's just infuriating that we are still in an era where the people, like the Academy of Motion Pictures and Arts and Sciences, they cannot understand what best animated feature actually means. And it's very frustrating. Yeah. And it's almost a foregone conclusion that whatever Pixar releases will probably win that award every single year or whatever Disney releases, if Pixar doesn't release something, will win it. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's a very rare anomaly that that's not the case, which did not work in the Mitchells versus the Machines favor or anything that Leica ever releases, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's a larger problem that has existed certainly since... Uh, 1989 with The Little Mermaid. That's Once prob- the Disney Renaissance kicked off. That's probably ground zero for when they blew up and became like the biggest money makers you could reliably release for a while, um, especially in our more modern age. And I don't know, there's, there's just no... It's it's really painted the medium in a very uh, colorful and toothless light. And that's that's a larger problem with the Disney Corporation, how they like a homogenized product and Mm -hmm. they have a stranglehold on the market as a result. They have a stranglehold on public perceptions of the market as a result. And it sucks. And only on a rare occasion do you get like maybe a DreamWorks property that blows up and is successful. But even then, is it really that much more adult or made more for adults or handling the deeper concepts than a Disney movie is? Not typically. Yeah. And and this is where my frustration also lies, because are there years where Disney and or Pixar have put out the best animated film of the year? Absolutely. That happens all the time. Yeah. But it's not a 100% accuracy. And it feels like this year in particular... The Mitchells versus the Machines really got pushed out by the popularity and name recognition of a Disney title, and not because it's actually better. No, like we talked about this at the very beginning of the episode, about how this movie is probably underappreciated because it was dumped on Netflix and not given a wide release. Mm-hmm. Absolutely it was, because the thing is, this movie ended up on Netflix, and a lot of people probably went, oh, this is a movie for kids, and totally checked out. Probably. Um, I would dare say... That there are some maybe some kids who should have, should have seen this movie who didn't get to because of uh, reasons. BJ, would you like to take the floor? So, like we said at the beginning of the episode, Katie Mitchell is queer. And it is... A non-issue. It is a non-issue. It is clear in her clothing accessories, the, the things that she's interested in. Like, one of my absolute favorite ones is there's a blink-and-you'll-miss-it moment where you see the stacks of movies she's made, and one of them is uh, Y Tu Papa Tambien. And um, if you don't know, that is a reference to Y Tu Mama Tambien by Alfonso Cuaron, and that is one of the most well-known pieces of queer cinema. Um, So for Katie to not only know the title, but to know it well enough to parody it, um, yes, she's queer. 
Um, there's also like a lot of little things that come out in the way that she communicates. Like she talks to her brother at one point where he's, you know, hiding his feelings cause he has a crush on the neighbor girl who also likes dinosaurs. And Katie says to him, like, don't hide your feelings, man. That's no way to live. Like it, it is so very much present. And mm-hmm. if you're a queer person, you, you can see all of it. Oh, like, yeah. I mean, she's got a rainbow pin. She really likes Kathleen Hanna. Right. Um, And then obviously there's the more like open and canonical thing where she keeps talking about this girl named Jade that she's met through like their school's online like, hey, meet new peers kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And when she finally does go to college, the movie ends with her mom being like, are you and Jade official yet? And is she coming home for Thanksgiving? So like, it's there. We Mm -hmm. know she's queer. Mm -hmm. That's my Katie. Are you eating enough? How's classes? Are you and Jade official and will you be bringing her home with you for Thanksgiving? Oh, easy, Mom. It's only been a few weeks. Also, do I look okay? I've been sick lately. Oh my gosh, she's dead. Call 911. <laughs> I've been taking the class about filters. Oh, you. That is so creative. You know, speaking of which, you inspired your dad. I got on that uh, YouTube. I uh, sent you a friend request. Why didn't you, why didn't you accept it? Oh, that's what this is. I thought a psychopath wrote this. Sure, I'll I'll accept your friend request, Dad. So, after this movie came out, um, I noticed a very disturbing trend, similarly to what I saw with Turning Red and how they were like, Turning Red talks about sex, in which, no, it doesn't. Talks about periods. Talks about periods. And and innocent lust. (laughs) Yes. Um... I'm going to reference uh, that piece that I wrote about Katie Mitchell's queer representation again. Animated movies are hesitant to show LGBTQIA representation because our culture is still not only struggling with how to explain queerness to children, but also flat out accepting that it's even a possibility. Despite Disney's one and only canonically queer character in a mainstream animated film, they are constantly under fire and boycotted for promoting a quote-unquote gay agenda. Keep in mind, I wrote this article way before the Don't Say Gay stuff happened, so none of that is included here. There is a very, very vocal minority of people that will scream at the top of their lungs that their children are being indoctrinated, quote-unquote, by even coding queerness in their films. And that's a very scary thing for a lot of studios. James Gunn revealed last year that in his original script for the live-action Scooby-Doo, they featured a longtime queer-coded icon, Velma, as explicitly gay, but the studio continued to water down her queerness until finally throwing in a boyfriend character just to make sure there wouldn't be any questions of her orientation. Come on, it's Linda Cardellini. The, the, the gays were there anyway. <laughs> you didn't yeah, have we to make there. it canonical for us to show up. <laughs> right, right, exactly. But here's, here's the problem is that these little mentions of queerness that we've discussed, it never did Katie kiss anybody, talk about a a woman in any sort of like lusty, sexually desirable way. Like none of that exists. No one holds hands. There's no, there's nothing. Like there's nothing. It's, it's her queerness. Literally no physical contact. No, her queerness is expressed in accessories and interest. Like that is the end of the line. And by interests, like queer interests in media, not like, queer interest as in like I, I don't know she's not like objectifying women or anything I'm not watching movies I'm watching that bod right like none of that exists in this movie yeah. and yet and yet parental review sites were flagging this movie for having sexual content because in their backwards ass fucking stupid brains queerness equals sex 
Because of sexuality. Because of sexuality. And I know I've gone on this this tirade a million times before, and I don't care. I'm going to do it again. As somebody who was a queer teacher, I am very innately affected by this horrific continued propaganda that queer people are dangerous to children or that we are groomers or that we're any of these awful things that Republican pundits like to paint us as. Mm -hmm. But the fact that the Mitchells versus the Machines, which is inarguably one of the best movies that have come out in the last five years, was being unfairly maligned by conservative, uppity, ignorant parents by flagging this movie as sexual makes me want to flip every table in a tri-county area. Not not that any of this really went away, but it truly was a harbinger of things to come, wasn't it? It sure fucking was. And it's just... We had no idea. We had no idea. And it just Such hurts. a simpler time. It just like hurts my heart to think that there are probably so many kids who would benefit from seeing this movie because as much as the Mitchells versus the Machines... In my brain, like, this is not a movie for kids, but this is a movie that is accessible to children. Like, there is a difference between those two things. It's energetic. It's fun. It's colorful. Exactly. But, like, there's... There's a lot of messages that are a little bit too deep for some kids to process. No, like, I don't think that, I don't know, a 10-year-old has any concept of growing out of being interested in being around your parents and trying to escape them because they don't understand you when you found your people in California. Like, that is is some mature stuff by Mm -hmm. 10-year-old standards that Mm -hmm. you're not going to get into until you're a teenager. Right, absolutely. And to think that there are children that I know, because I don't need data to prove this, I know have been denied the opportunity to love this movie and enjoy it and have so much fun because of that is is just unbelievable because it's not like all of these websites are like really intricate in like how they are describing it or how they're platforming things sometimes they just mark uh three star sexual content four star sexual content and they don't say what it is (laughs) right and they don't say what it is so if you're a parent who doesn't have media literacy and doesn't know how to find things you're just trying to go through something quickly to make sure it's appropriate for your kids and you see that you're gonna go oh not for them and do no further investigation so this movie this animated movie is apparently not for adults because it's animated and it's not for kids because it's sexual Apparently. That, am, I, am I picking up on what we're putting down? Is that about it? That's the long Appar- and short? Apparently. Okay. That's, that's how people feel about it. Great. So, again, there are people missing out on just an incredible movie because of absolute backwards-ass perceptions of what this movie's supposed to be. Or just, you know, you didn't know this movie existed, in which now you do. Yeah. Thumbs up emoji. Look at the camera. <laughs> yeah, and in this movie, just it really, really resonated deeply with me in a way that this has become one of my comfort movies. I return to this movie all the time because it genuinely makes me feel better about myself. And it also has just this wonderful message of perseverance and figuring out what type of relationship you want to have with your family. Mm-hmm. So a complaint that I saw from somebody was that they 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 hated this movie because in their minds, Katie had to do some changing in order to mend the relationship with Rick. And in this person's mind, they were like, no, parents have to change for their kids. You know, teenagers shouldn't have to sacrifice who they are to make amends with their kids. 
that's not right. So first off, that is not what happens in this movie at all in the slightest. I would dare say this is more of a movie of compromise, but I don't even think they do that. No, I think Rick does way more changing than Katie does. Eh. Um, But here's, here's the thing people need to understand. Because families and parents and children can be very, very different from each other, you have to figure out what you want your relationship with your parents to look like. And in some instances, you may have to allow some concessions for that relationship to manifest. For some people, that's not possible. And it is a deal breaker. If your parents can't get on board with X thing, they're fucking out. Cool. Cut them off. Mm-hmm. You, you, you do not have to keep anyone in your life that is toxic or harmful or whatever. You don't have to. But if a relationship with your family is something that you really want and that's something that is important to you, you have to figure out where your concessions lie. I have concessions with my own family. We don't see eye to eye on everything. And before people go and jump the gun and make assumptions, quite honestly, like it's nobody's fucking business what my concessions are with my family. But we don't agree on everything. And that's fine. None of the things we disagree on are deal breakers. So I'm able to continue having a good relationship with my family. But that does mean that that requires me to meet my parents where they are and understand that this is something that is going to be a fundamental difference between us that we're never going to see eye to eye on. And I either need to make peace with that or I need to cut them off. Like those are my options. I have elected to make peace with them because the things we disagree with, like I said, are actually not that big of a deal. Like, they're not deal breakers for me. Like, if they had an issue with me being queer or you being trans, like, yeah, that would have been a fucking deal breaker. They would have been out of my life. Mm -hmm. Those are not things I have to worry about. The things I have to worry about are quite nitpicky, if I'm going to be honest. Mm -hmm. Katie's making concessions in this movie for her dad. She is accepting the fact he is not going to understand what I do and what I'm passionate about at the level that I understand and am passionate about. But I can see that he's making efforts. He's trying. And that's enough for me. Mm -hmm. She comes to terms with that being enough for her. That is not her changing anything about who she is. That is not her having to sacrifice her creativity, her dreams, or her passions to appease her parents. None of that happens. She just makes concessions with understanding, my dad doesn't fucking get this, and he's not gonna get this, and that's fine. I can get past that because we at least can understand how to communicate with one another. And that's all we need to do. Well, that's the thing is that this isn't that they're drifting away from each other. This is Katie drifting away. And Correct. he's trying to prevent that. And the, the the clash that they're dealing with is that because he doesn't understand and isn't actually taking any and is it making that extra effort to understand anything about his, like, growing child? Mm-hmm. She goes, oh, well, my dad doesn't care about what I do. Like, I've tried, but he's just not interested. So, like, I guess I guess we're done here. And Rick doesn't want that to be the case. He's trying. Like, honestly, he's, like, desperately clawing to have a relationship with his kid. But he's trying to skip steps. Yes. Because 100% yes. Because he's desperate. So he's just trying to, like, get to a point where they're okay rather than, like, building their way back to being okay. Mm-hmm. And that forces Katie away faster. Mm-hmm. And so, it again, they, they just don't communicate with each other very well. 
Well, yeah, and it's not only that they don't communicate with each other very well. It's almost like there's because they have different love languages, they're speaking entirely different languages at each other and then mm-hmm. getting frustrated when they don't understand each other. Yeah. That's what's happening. And I I love that this movie shows Katie, you know, having to figure out what are what like she's setting boundaries. Like what are the boundaries that she's willing to push further if it means being able to have a relationship with her dad specifically Mm -hmm. like this that's what we see by the end of this movie after the robot apocalypse is staved off and everything is great and katie's going to college dad subscribes to her youtube and like that's enough of a step that's saying like i'm interested in what you're doing because Mm -hmm. you're my kid and people like your art and it is kind of silly and like dad practices good media literacy and realizes that like hey dog cop and sarge aren't just dog cop and sarge there's right. deeper meaning yeah they- look at dad <laughs> applying good media literacy he understands right. metaphors and subtext yeah he's getting it he's getting it and the thing is it had to be spoon fed to him mm-hmm. and it also needed to be spoon fed to him by someone that isn't Katie mm-hmm. because as much as as much as it would be great if Katie could like sit down and be like here's what this is let me explain this to you i have also tried to have those conversations with my parents where it's like let me explain to you what an online publication is no, it is not just a fun, it's not social media. Yes, I got paid to do this. Mm-hmm. Let me, I'm sorry you can't read it. It's behind a paywall. You have to subscribe to it. Okay, you don't want to subscribe to it. I'm going to send you screenshots. No, they're not going to be an email attachment. I'm going to text them to you. Like I've had these conversations and I find myself getting increasingly frustrated because I want them to be on my level. I want them to meet me there, but they they cannot. Like, And I had to accept they cannot meet me at this level. Well, yeah, they're technological cavemen. Your parents barely know how to use their smart TV. I have to frequently tell them how to re-log into their Netflix account. Like, and they live in Florida and we're in California. We are as far away as possible. And I'm still doing tech support for them because they just do not get it. And if I was the type of person that was like, well, my parents didn't learn how to use computers to support my work, therefore I hate them. No. It's like, they understand what I do. I send my mom a screenshot like, hey, look, I interviewed Terry Crews and she shows all of her friends because it's the coolest shit she's ever seen. Mm-hmm. Does she know how to access the the video of it? No. Does she know how to use Google and specifically look on Slash Film for the article? No. I have to give it to her. I have to spoon feed it to her. And for a very long time, I couldn't be the one to do that because it was so frustrating to me mm-hmm. because it added additional work for me. But other people helped. Other people helped out. And like, that's what we get with mom and with Aaron. They help out. And it makes a world of difference because it's a community. A family is a community. Mm-hmm. Like, we talked about this earlier in the episode about parents and their weird metrics for measuring success. And mm-hmm. dad doesn't understand, like, oh, how can Katie make a living at this? Uh, she's going to be broke and depressed and she's going to be really upset because she didn't get to live her dreams etc etc it's a bummer that he can't learn about what she's doing from her directly and have it mean something to him Mm -hmm. but seeing like literally the most powerful man in technology who basically built google facebook and apple in this universe right having him go Oh, yeah, whenever I'm bored, I I watch these goofy videos that this girl makes of her dog. And dad goes, 
you built all this and you like what my kid made. Mm-hmm. And that's like a metric of success that needed to be spoon fed to him. Absolutely. Like he needed that. It needed to come from somebody other than his own kid. Because obviously Katie's going to love what she's doing. She's mm-hmm. going to be proud of what she's doing. She's going to do everything in her power to be like, no, this is the coolest shit you've ever seen. That's to be expected. It needed to come from somebody outside of the family to validate that because, you know, frequently I will text my friend something and I'll be like, hey, here's how I'm feeling. This is how I'm thinking. Like, am I crazy for this? Like, please help me, like, validate me in this moment. Because sometimes you just, you kind of need to hear what you already know from a voice that is not your own. Mm -hmm. And that's what's happening here. It's like he needed to hear this from a voice that wasn't Katie's because he knows that song and dance. He's heard it a million times. It needed to come from somewhere else. And that's not a failure on either of their part. That's a that's just a, a different way of learning and processing information. Some people need that. Mm-hmm. I'm a person who needs that. Like, I will read something and be like, I think this is cool as shit. This is super awesome. And then sometimes I need somebody else to be like, yeah, no, that is awesome. Otherwise, I'm just like, you know, I'm used to liking stuff people don't like. Shout out to Greece too. Like, I'm very <laughs> used to that being part of my normal. So when somebody does validate it, it's like, okay, cool. I can I can kind of take a breath and know that I'm not alone in this. This is great. Mm-hmm. He needs that. Rick needs that. He's a fucking boomer. Those people thrive off of external validation. They don't give a shit about internal validation. That's why none <laughs> of them go to therapy. Yeah, and Rick's probably never going to go to therapy, but he has a good relationship with his firstborn which means it'll probably help him with his relationship with his secondborn. Mm-hmm. And we have a good, happy ending. Yes, it's lovely. They they have a better understanding of one another. And the family is not, quote unquote, fixed. They just know how to exist together. They it's know on the how mend. To, yeah, they know how to be a cohesive unit now, which I think is really wonderful. Yeah, they can function. They're mm-hmm. not dysfunctional anymore. Exactly. And and, and none of them had to sacrifice who they are as people to get there, mm-hmm. which I think is the most important lesson of it all. I mean, part of me feels bad that we didn't talk a lot about Eric and Deborah Bot and, you know, not even as much with Aaron or Mom, who are all characters that I absolutely adore. Um, but this movie is so much about Katie and, and Rick's relationship. Mm-hmm. That's just what it is. And that's the heart, the, the heart of this movie and why it means so much to me and why I think it resonates with so many people. I agree. And because that was so much the emphasis, we didn't even talk about the fact that Chrissy Teigen and John Legend are in this, and Chrissy Teigen's just as insufferable in this as she is in real life. <laughs> I mean, I don't think she was as insufferable when they cast her, but like in in hindsight, like it's meta-genius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Harmony, The Mitchells versus The Machines is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? I would love to go to a prom with them. I would like to believe that these weirdos don't even want to go to a prom. I'm not even positive they would want to go to a gay prom. I think they're going to go to probably some weird B-movie screener at like midnight Mm -hmm. on prom night. That seems more their speed, and I like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. Ideally, we won't go to a dance because we could probably find more fun things to do, like to have a slip and slide in the hallway. Like a dinosaur-shaped one. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Perfect. Well, friends, thank you so much for listening. I hope that you enjoyed this episode. And if you have not seen The Mitchells vs. the Machines, it is on Netflix. Go watch it. It is just 
absolute magic. You're going to love it. I know it's on Netflix and it's June and that's complicated, but like, yeah, you can always buy the physical copy. I bought it for BJ for her birthday. It's out there. Yeah. You can get the physical copy. Actually. Yeah. No, do that. Do that. Gorgeous on Blu-ray. Yeah. Like I'm not a big like person who demands things be in Blu-ray, but animated films. Oh my God. If they're done right with like a good upgrade to Blu-ray, they're so fucking pretty. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, so do that. Watch it, support it, love it. I want more movies like it. That it's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. And you know what? It, they they may not have won the Oscar, but Katie Mitchell got an Academy Award nomination, and she deserves it. She deserves all of the flowers in the world. Mm-hmm. If you enjoyed the episode and you want to keep up with us a little more, you can follow us on social media at This Ends at Prom on Twitter and Instagram. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velosa underscore trap underscore tour. And humongous thank you as always to the Sonder Bombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool indie band do you want people to check out to that is inspired by the Mitchells versus the Machines? I love how it didn't necessarily start out as like, oh, it has to be inspired by this thing. But over time, it's just like, well, we'll just try to keep it to the theme because that's fun. Mm-hmm. But for this one, I'm shouting out a band called Dynastic. And their album, I Know There's Something Left For You, mm-hmm. because this album sounds like the internet. <laughs> this is a uh, this is music that is self-described as poppy, punky tunes about feelings and stuff. <laughs> Perfect. And it's basically a blend of uh, hyper-pop and punk, but like hyper-pop not in the like overdriven, eccentric assaulting kind of way Mm -hmm. like there's a lot of melody to this which i appreciate and the punk aspect is like punk by way of myspace so it just feels even more like the internet that sounds like everything that i love yeah it's actually a phenomenal album um i'm a big fan and i'm not the hugest fan of hyper pop but i I like it when it's done with like a sense of melody and Mm -hmm. structure and like again it's like it's like this movie just meet me in the middle a little bit and Mm -hmm. we'll be fine also, just as like a little bonus, because this isn't like a full indie band, but I'm excited for it anyway. Uh, Super Organism is releasing music for the first time in a few years. Oh, yay! And they've released like four new songs over the last month or so. Oh, cool. And they're all really great. I'm a big fan. So that's tight. And I'm excited for them to release a full album again. Yeah, Super Organism rules. And they also very much fit in the wheelhouse of, of this movie. Oh, those videos look like a Katie Mitchell special. And yeah, they really they do. And they sound like the internet. <laughs> Amazing. Well, all right, friends, we will see you next week. And as always, save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. Please, after all that, I'm a computer expert. Am I doing this right? Should I update my software? Hit enter! Hit enter! I accidentally ordered 12 swimmers on Amazon! What did I? This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. 
To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.